Good morning. Welcome to Grace Point Church, virtual church. We are glad that you're with us today. I really do appreciate you all uh, sending your notes and texting and, and emailing, just letting me know that you're out there. It, it sure does help me feel connected to all of you uh, as I uh, teach today. So today we are wrapping up Second Thessalonians. We're going to be in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 18. We do have quite a bit of text to cover. I have some notes, and I'm hoping that I can move along quickly in a, in a reasonable amount of time. Uh, as we conclude Thessalonians today, we're going to move on by request. It was requested that we cover uh, Galatians, and so I'm looking forward to Galatians. I haven't preached through Galatians, and, and I haven't really taught through it. I've, I've done some work in there, and but I don't really learn a book until I preach through it. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to Galatians. If you want to read ahead, it's been described as a mini-Romans. And it's, it's that and Thessalonians are considered to be the two of the earliest uh, books of the Bible that we have um, in, in the New Testament, that they seem to be the very first that were written. Uh, so with that, let's pray, and then we'll read our passage for today. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us, Lord, to uh, finish this letter well. It's, it's, uh, I always kind of at the end, I'm, I'm starting to look forward to the next book. And, and so, Father, I pray that you would speak to us through your word today, that you would help us, Lord, to, to see what you desire from us. Lord, um, there, there is a, a lot in this passage, um, for, and it applies in different ways to, to different people uh, at different stages in their life. Uh, and so, Lord, we pray that you would help us uh, to hear a word from you, that we would find encouragement here, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. All right, so Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, and not according to the tradition which you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have the right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such, a person, now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ, to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of the person and do not associate with him, so that he will be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother." Now may the Lord of peace now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. I Paul write this greeting with my own hand, and this is a distinguishing mark in every letter. 
This is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And Father, we do ask that your grace would abound as we uh, navigate this section of this letter. We ask that you would be with us, that you would help us. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. So uh, around this time of year, I always get a little nostalgic. It seems like from February to May, I do a lot of sort of uh, introspection, reflection on my life and my calling and, and for us as a family. Um, this coming Tuesday, Ann and I celebrate our 19, 19 years of marriage. And on in, in May, this coming May, I'll, we will celebrate 14 years of being here at Grace Point Church. And so with these sort of uh, anniversaries. It, it's, it, it brings with me sort of reflection. How am I doing? What does God want from me? How can I do better in my life? Uh, how can I grow with where I am? I, I always enjoy it. And as we look at this last passage, and as I've been reflecting on this passage this week, it, um, it deals with some things that I've, I really truly, in coming to Valley Center and coming to this church, there are some things that I've really uh, grown to love and appreciate about our community. Um, and there is a, a strong sort of work ethic and disciplined sort of attitude about um, just living out here. Valley Center is a, is a tough place to live. I've seen a number of people over the years move here and then have to move on because of the, the difficulties and like some hard, harder types of life that are found out here. However, for those of us that remain, there, there are, there's beauty out here in the community and in the working hard and the land. And it, it, is a, it's a, it, it really is a beautiful thing. I love our neighbors within our community, within our church. Uh, people are willing to help and to serve and to really uh, just to serve one another. And and this sort of lifestyle, unfortunately, isn't very common in our society anymore. Uh, as we come to this passage that talks about discipline and working hard and per, like sort of the, the idea of providing for yourself, um, it, I, in my study, I, I stumbled across an old quote that, we, that most of us should know um, from Patrick Henry, and the, his quote is, give me liberty or give me death. Now, he spoke these words in March 23rd of 1775 and sort of in this speech he gave in the, in the church sort of was one of the catalysts to kind of get the American Revolution going. And someone observed in my study this week, they, they uh, brought up this quote and they said, well, Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or give me death. And then the next generation said, give me liberty. And then the generation following that they said, give me. And unfortunately, it seems that that's where we as a nation are in, in large part, that we're at that last sort of stage of, of give me and wanting, uh, you know, I think of, you know, you know, the whole ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country has now been like, ask what your country can do for you. And sort of the, uh, this entitlement sort of feeling is within our culture. And it's not... Uh, a, a biblical thing. Like certainly we're dependent upon God and we need him, but in our dependency of God, God has given us the, 
the the blessing of being able to do work and and through hard work uh, God blesses us with a means to provide for ourselves and our family and it seems that this is what was going on in Thessalonica that uh, that they had not been sort of working hard starting with verse six Paul says now we command you brothers and sisters in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, the previous verse in verse five he says, we have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will continue what, to do what we uh, command. Now, through this passage that we look at today, multiple times Paul is saying, these are the things that, that we or the Lord command you. There's no, there, there's no gentleness. There's no wiggle room. It's, 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 it's a bold um, exhortation that they are to do these things. He says, now we command you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, He goes on to say that you keep away from every brother or sister who leads a disorderly life and not one in accordance with the tradition which you received from us. Now, this is easy to understand. It's difficult to apply this. um, How do we practice this? Now, let's sort of reverse engineer it or like start with the individual that he's challenging the believers in Thessalonica to stay away one is one who leads a disorderly life. So then that begs the question, like, what, what is this? Um, he uses this word previously in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, when he says, we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the unruly. That's the word unruly. Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11, so a little bit further in our passage, which we'll get to later, he uses this word this way. He says, For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. So in our verse today, this, this word is used in a dis, disorderly life. In 1 Thessalonians 5.14, the word is unruly. And then later, the word, same word is used as an undisciplined life. It's, it's a Greek word that I'm not going to try to butcher, um, but it's, it's a word that soldiers would use for an individual that, that wouldn't stay within in the ranks, that as, as the military was going about a certain direction, there would be one that would be sort of out of ranks and not, not sort of keeping in step, not keeping in, in line with the culture of, of, of the unit. And, and so... This, this is strong. Um, so the, the thought is that the church was working and serving and participating, but there were some individuals amongst their ranks who were not participating, who were not contributing, who were not uh, being team players. And these individuals who were not functioning this way were creating issues within the body of Christ. And so Paul moves from a gentle warning Back in chapter or First Thessalonians chapter five verse fourteen, where he says, "We urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the unruly." Uh, this is a gentle, like, "Hey, you need to kind of get on them." Now, a few months later, he moves from gentle to a little bit more severe, and he says, "You need to keep away from them, to, to, to pull away relationally from them, to distance yourself." These are believers who profess Christ, and within the body of Christ, there's this 
responsibility by the body to sort of be accountable to one another. And, and those that are steering off course, they, they need to be corrected or disciplined. Um, and so they are to cut off the relationship and the benefits that the community provides to, to the community. And they're to do this to those that aren't participating as they should. Now, the aim was to cause them to see that their behavior was unacceptable, to bring about repentance, and to, to bring them back in the fold. Uh, in Second Thessalonians 3.15, just, just down a little bit further, it says, yet do not regard them as the enemy, but admonish them as a brother. And so this isn't like to create war. This is to bring some discipline so that they would humble themselves and then they would bring their lives into order. On this, there's sort of two things that I kind of think. Like on the receiving end of this, what I see is uh, it's very important for us to be within community, within the Christian life. The, the, the Christian life isn't just about coming to church on Sunday and, you know, doing your hour of time or whatever. It's, it's about really participating and being a part of a community so that you can go through sort of ups and downs in life. And as you sort of grow in the Lord, the community can help you in your walk and your relationship with Jesus. And, and it's a it's a, it's a beautiful thing when you have somebody that loves you, that sort of corrects you and says, you know what, I'm seeing this in your life. It's, it's, it's really unbecoming of Christ, and it would be good for you to adjust in this way. If you've ever been corrected in this way, it, it, it's, it really is a blessing, even if it's unpleasant at the time. Now, on the other side of the coin, the, the giving end of this, my notes, I simply wrote, man, this is hard. To be on the side when you see somebody in sin or going off course or living their life in a way that's, go, that's clearly violating the Bible, it's so hard to step in and to, sit, to, to correct. But ultimately, this is true love. This is when you really, truly care for somebody, when you can intervene in this way. And I think that when I see, when I look at this section, and I see the the difficulty and the the just the, it's not always easy. I what I see is a family type relationship. We do we should be doing this in, in our relationships in our uh, between parents and children, and and it's it's ultimately it's love, and this is how the church is to be with one another. We go through these things. Now, in verses 7 through 9, this, this section is sort of like a, verses 7 through 9, sort of like our Paul's example and demonstration. He says, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow, you, for, let me start over, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined way among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but... With labor and hardship, we kept working day and night so that we wouldn't be, we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a role model for you so that you would follow our example. I want to start with verse 9 that says, not because we do not have the right to do this. It's, it's important to point out that what Paul was saying is that as 
as a, as a missionary, as a church planner, as one who established the church, one who labored in this capacity uh, as their pastor, as their leader, uh, he had a right uh, to receive provision from them. Uh, this is in, in the Bible. I mean, there, there, there's in the Old Testament, there's talk about, uh, you know, the, the, you're not to, to muzzle an ox as, as they do their labor and they're to be able to eat and to benefit from the work that they're doing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 3 through 14, and then in 1 Timothy 5 through 18, uh, Paul teaches that the laborer is worthy of their wages, specifically within the body of Christ as it relates to a pastor. I do, on a side note, just as one who is a recipient of being cared for by the body of Christ, I just want to thank our congregation um, my family is is cared for financially that that i 'm able to uh, do what I do to teach and to lead um, without like with being compensated and being cared for um, and so i I deeply appreciate this now Paul says when he went there he didn 't receive this from them outside sources provided for him we know that, and then he also had a vocation, and he actively uh, worked while he was there. Uh, in 2020, one of the things that I've really that that I, that I we wrestled with as a as a family when everything collapsed and didn't know how the church would be able to care for us or not. There was a lot of unknowns. I think we all had a lot of worries, and. In like the discussion with Anne, it's like, well, I still feel called to Grace Point Church, and I feel called here. And if I can't get a salary, if the church isn't able to like provide for me, does that mean that I would leave, or does that mean that I would stay and function in this capacity and and work in an outside capacity in order to like provide for my family and yet to minister and to pastor here? And and so that that's the latter one is the one that that I tr- truly believe that I would have gone with, and I'm grateful that that's not the direction that I've had to go. But, uh, but Paul says, I did this to be an example to you. And he said that we were disciplined, hardworking men. We modeled this for you so that you could look to our lives and you could live your lives in the same way. Going into verse 10, he says, for even when we, when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not uh, he's not to eat either. Uh, it's it's interesting. He says that when I was with you, so going back, you know, there's a, there's his time there. Then he was kicked out of town, and then he wrote First Thessalonians. Then a few months later, he wrote Second Thessalonians, and so he was only with them for like three or four weeks. And so in the, his initial meeting with them, he uh, he he gives them this instruction that if you're not willing to work, then you shouldn't eat. Now I want to caution. This is aimed at those who can work but choose not to work. This, this isn't aimed at, at those who can't work. Uh, Paul writes about having compassionate on the, the less unfortunate, those that are handicapped and unable to work, that this isn't speaking about those who can't work. This is an able-bodied individual who can work but chooses not to. Uh, it, it's made me think of... Uh, the, you know, it's a year anniversary that from our trip to Spain, and and this passage has me thinking of a Spanish saying that says uh, that Spaniards say that Germans know how to work and and Spaniards know how to live, 
and it's it's kind of funny. Now, in the context of this passage, the the Jews had a strong work ethic. Um, that in order to go into the ministry, uh, like you couldn't become a rabbi till you were thirty years old, and before you did that, you had to have a, a vocation. I um, I very much believe this about ministry. I, I feel like you have to have been knocked down in the real world before you become a pastor. Um, and, and I think there's benefit in having a, you know, a vocation apart from the ministry. So, you know, my, my being a Navy SEAL is very, you know, handy for, for work on the side. Um, just joking, I haven't been doing a lot of work on the side, but, but there's always offers for me to go do kind of contract work. And it's like, yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. Um, but, but so like, you know, Paul was a tent maker. He, he had a vocation. It was required of a rabbi to have a vocation. We know Jesus said he was a carpenter, probably more of a, what we know as a stone mason. So the Jewish mindset is they valued and respected work. The Greeks weren't that way. They despised work. And so when Paul went into Thessalonica, there was, there was, there was already this attitude sort of frowning down upon work and work being detestable and it shouldn't be something uh, that they should be doing. And it's very evident from me in this study and sort of just looking at the New Testament that God very much does value a strong work ethic, um, that, that we as his children are to be laboring and, and working and serving. And it's, it's a blessing to us and it honors God and we are to live this way, and so Paul, from the very beginning with these individuals, said, "If if you don't work, then don't eat. If you want to eat, then you need to participate. You need to you need to, you need to work and contribute." Um, Christians, I do believe we should be those that have a reputation for strong work ethic. We we should be individuals that the secular world wants to employ and to bring us onto their staff because of our incredible work ethic. In verse 11, he goes on to say, for we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life. So here's that word again, the the military verbiage for being sort of out of line, out of sync, uh, away from the unit, uh, that you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. So the word about these, these individuals within the body had spread to Paul. Because he says some, there's some, not all. There's some among you are leading an undisciplined life. And so this is the same word for First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, and Second Thessalonians 3, 6, uh, the military term for being out of ranks. They are not working at all. And so again, the disciplined life, here it is, is super important to God. God values the disciplined life that we need to be disciplined Individuals, I think we should be disciplined individuals in our work ethic. We should be disciplined individuals in our uh, spiritual life. We should be disciplined individuals as we contribute to the body of Christ. Uh, We really need to be organized in how we go about our lives with intentionality. And he says that they were they were busybodies, and this is a word that means to be to be a meddler, and it's someone who intrudes in people's business. Charles Swindoll says this about this, this word busybody, he said, we should picture people fluttering about from house to house like social butterflies. But those whose gossip stung 
like horseflies, drawn to bad report, drawn to bad reports like houseflies to dung. The they carried such news with them everywhere they went, quickly contaminating the whole church with their filth. And so these busybodies are going around just little little gossip mills and and stirring stirring up the pot about so and so and such and such and and really they should be working. And I think there's a, a proverb that talks about, you know, idle hands or the devil's workshop. I don't know if it's actually in the Bible. It's, but there are biblical passages that sort of allude to this. Ecclesiastes, there's a, a verse that says, a lazy man, he's, he's, uh, he's too lazy to care for his roof, and then all of a sudden the roof caves in because of his laziness. And so Paul's going to address these people head on. Verse 12, now we command and exhort such persons in the Lord Jesus Christ to work peacefully and to eat their own bread. Simply put, he says to you individuals that are doing this, stop it. Cut it out. Stop creating division. Stop going about your idleness. Stop gossiping. Stop doing all this stuff. Go to work. Do your job. Honor God and eat your own bread. Don't be saying, oh, the Lord's coming, but you ran out of money. And since the Lord's run out, since, 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 since you've run out of money and you're still anticipating the Lord is coming back, then you're now going to your neighbor and saying, hey, can you feed me? I ran out of money and I don't have the resources, but I, I know you do. So uh, it's, this is like socialism in a lot of ways. Paul say, no, you go to work. You provide for your own. You, you care. There's another passage that talks about that the one who doesn't provide for his own family is worse than the unbeliever. And it's like the Bible wants us to be productive and to be workers and to be disciplined. In verse 13, he goes on to say, but as for you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary of doing good. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us, let's not become discouraged in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not become weary. And so there's a reality that as we serve, as we uh, minister to people and care for others, even within the body of Christ, it's easy to, uh, to be let down by people, to be hurt by people. Um, there's something called compassion fatigue, which is super common amongst uh, clergy and first responders. And compassion fatigue is a broadly defined concept that can include emotional, physical, and spiritual distress and those providing care for one another. As a pastor, I've certainly experienced this multiple times over the course of my last uh, 14 years at the church. Um, when I look at our church history, our church is 74 years old. Over the course of 74 years, there's been 20 pastors. When you look at the first, I don't know, five to 10 years, most of the pastors served for four or five months, maybe a, a, a year. There's a, whole, there's a whole lot of guys that did like one year, one year, one year, one year. Uh, finally, you get to, to the 60s, and George Farrington, who was at the church when I first came here, and we named Gideon's middle name after him, he was at the church for nine years. And then there's a whole, just a, a, a number of guys that were like two years, three years until me, and now I've been here for 14, so I'm the longest-running pastor. And so when I look at this, 
uh, list, it really makes me sad because it reflects sort of normalcy amongst churches that these these pastors came, they were extremely beat up by the congregation, and they burnt out, and they basically just disappeared. And and this is normal amongst the church. The life expectancy, not life expectancy, like the vocational life expectancy of a a pastor is is really small. Like I think they say within five years after seminary, most pastors have have quit the ministry because of the destruction done uh, to to their emotions, their souls, that that the people, it's just been so hard in in giving and, and giving of yourself um, those that survive, it's so often for a pastor to become lonely and to sort of distance himself from the people. Uh, I, I, I refuse to do that. I, I think the Bible has called me to be transparent, has called me to, uh, to give my life to those that are part of this congregation, to, to really um, to, to serve in that way. And so it can be difficult, and you get beat up, and then you just keep pressing on. And God heals, and you hopefully, like we have a culture of transparency and realness within our body, and I do believe that we do. He goes on to say, but this applies, I want to go back. But as for you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary of doing good. Galatians 6, 9, let us not become discouraged in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do, do not become weary. This doesn't just apply to pastors. If you're a part of our church and you're contributing, if you're giving of yourself, like we're all sinners and we're going to make mistakes and you're going to wrong people and people are going to wrong you and you're going to get hurt. Like, but we're, we're encouraged just to hold course because this is what the Lord wants of us. And if you hold course, eventually you get through the hurt and there's healing. It's just like in a family. Verse 14, if anyone does not obey our instruction, this letter Take special note of that person so as not to associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Again, here's the warning. This is severe. This is harsh. I wrote, ouch. <laughs> like, like Paul is making clear that those that are part of the body and those that are causing this, that they're to distance themselves. They're, they're, to, they're to bring some discipline, literally to, to put to shame. And this was a shame and honor culture. Uh, if you're interested in a good book, uh, there's there's a book that's out that I really enjoyed. It's called Misinterpreting Scripture Through Western Eyes. The, in the West, we don't have a shame and honor culture. In the East, a lot of it is the shame and honor culture. And and so uh, so much of the Bible was written through like the shame and honor culture. And so it, it would benefit us to be familiar with it so that we can see this in the Bible. Um, so I encourage you to get that book and to read it. I, I do want to read it again. It's been a while since I've read it. Uh, verse 15 says, And do not regard that person as an enemy, but admonish that one as a brother or sister. And so here Paul does sort of tap the brakes. He says the aim is restoration. The aim isn't to destroy the brother. If you were to go over and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, there was some sin that was addressed in 1 Corinthians. And apparently the church so disciplined the individual that the person was going to break. And Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, he basically says, like, hey, 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 you guys have done enough. If you, if you keep going this, this harsh, you're going to break the individual. The, the aim is for the person to come to the place of repentance and then to, to be restored and reconciled with the body. So our aim and desire 
when we have to exercise church discipline, our aim is always that that individual would get right with God and then be restored to the body. It's not for the aim of excommunication to be away uh, so that the person's dead to us forever. That is not biblical. And then as Paul sort of lands this letter, he says, Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. So God is the God of peace, and he offers peace that only he can offer. And he's saying, may he be with you. And this is my prayer, is that you truly know Jesus. He died on the cross for you to make the penalty for your sin, like to make the payment that your sin required. And there's an exchange when you believe. It's a gift of God's grace, and there's an exchange that Christ's righteousness becomes your own, and your sin was fully placed on him. And through this exchange, we enter into a relationship with God that is all about grace, and it's his love, and he transforms us. It's a beautiful thing. And my prayer is that you would be able to experience God's peace. Then in verse 17, he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, and this is a distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way I write. Remember, there's those letters that are circulating that they're claiming to be writing of Paul's authority. And so Paul's saying, I did not write those letters. They're not of my authority. Here's my distinguishing mark. You can know that I wrote this letter. And then he closes with the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. This is beautiful. God's grace is what we need. We receive it. We walk in it. We share it with others. I did it time-wise. I'm shocked. I had seven pages of notes. So the so what here? Like a lot's been covered in these books. And, and so uh, the overarching sort of thrust of this letter is, is that, um, that there was fear that they had sort of missed the boat and that Christ was coming back. And so they sort of stopped living, sort of ant- living because they were anticipating that Jesus was going to return. And so in light of this thinking, they just they stopped doing everything. And, and so Paul effectively says to them, don't worry, it's going to be okay because God is in control. Keep on keeping on. Work hard. Even in retirement, keep serving. I love that our church is filled with a bunch of retirees. And the retirees aren't just sitting around doing nothing. They are using... Uh, this time of retirement to serve one another, to contribute, to be a part of the body. And it's a beautiful example and testimony to me. I, I look forward to the day when I retire and that I'm able to, to serve in that way as you all are serving now. He says to them to live well, love one another. How you live your life matters to God. With that, let's pray. And I look forward to seeing you all next week. God bless you. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this letter. We ask that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would help us to become more like you in everything that we do. We thank you for these words, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, go in peace. Have a wonderful day.